Good evening and welcome to Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisley, your host, uh, wishing you and yours a uh, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. Tonight on Talk of the Neighborhoods, a two-part show, all politics as is our usual want and uh, some very special guests. First up tonight, uh, well, yesterday was his last meeting day as president of the Boston City Council. And tonight, uh, Ed Flynn, uh, counselor, of course, from uh, District 2 and the current council president, joins us to talk about his two-year tenure in leadership of the Boston City Council. Some uh, uh, rather difficult year, to say the least, and uh, we'll find out his thoughts on that. And also then in the second half, we shift gears to, uh, well, some more local politics, but also state and national. Uh, joining me, of course, is uh, David Halbert. He is the uh, uh, executive director of the Progressive Mass Funders Collaborative. and. Uh, We'll talk some politics with him. All that and more tonight on Talk of the Neighborhoods. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisley, your host. We're coming to you live from the uh, BNN studios in Eggleston Square tonight, also being simulcast on our sister radio station, WBCA 102.9 FM. And I'm pleased to have joining us on the first half of the show uh, uh, a well-known face and, and political figure in the city, uh, wrapping up his two-year term as the president and leader of the Boston City Council. We're talking, of course, about the District 2 City Councilor, Ed Flynn. And Ed, nice to have you here. Thanks so much for coming by. Joe, it's good to be with you. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Joe. Uh, well, uh, oh, uh, yesterday, did I have that right? Yesterday was your, your last meeting. How, how'd that go? Uh, did the... Uh, <laughs> no surprises. No surprises. No balloons. No... Uh, <laughs> no, it, was, it went well. Our four colleagues um, that that are leaving, right. we had a kind of a ceremony. Two defeated, two resigned, yep. two uh, retiring. Retiring, um, but they had a nice um, ceremony recognizing their leadership mm -hmm. in the city. It went well. Um, you know, I credit the city council central staff. They play a critical role mm -hmm. in the city. 
but I, I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, how much, how important they are. They're, they're, they're critical to the city councilors, their, their leadership, their, whether it's in the IT field or legislative or a legal council, but the city council central staff, that's one of the jobs of the city council president is to supervise the staff mm -hmm. as well. So I thoroughly enjoyed working with them, mm -hmm. especially. And you had some good people. So how are, how are you feeling? It's been a rough uh, couple of years, well, at least, especially the last year. Uh, a lot of uh, controversy on the council. Uh, are you feeling a little relieved in, in some ways? Uh, or is that too strong a word? I, well, I, I enjoyed the assignment. Yeah. I, I loved it. Yeah. It was two years, and I, I was fortunate to have been elected by my colleagues but the, the leadership experience that I received in the hands-on um, training and experience was invaluable. And I, I loved it. I loved, I loved the, mm -hmm. working with the mayor's office, Mayor Will, but I also loved working with city departments, helping my colleagues on the council, but also helping the residents deal with mm -hmm. quality of life issues, public safety challenges, concerns. So for me and, and my family, it was a tremendous honor. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the... The good part of it, of course, uh, there's also the the politics behind the scene, and, and lots of times, I, you know, I think that's uh, there's politics in every legislative body. Certainly, a lot of egos at play, but uh, this year, a lot of it became public, and uh, and uh, some of it uh, pretty nasty. I, I think that's fair to say. Uh, uh, charges of racism, some uh, uh, swearing on the council floor. Uh, how did you manage that, uh, and how do you feel about that now? I came into the office every day trying to provide the best leadership I possibly mm -hmm. could for my colleagues, but also for the residents of the city under difficult, challenging circumstances. But regardless of the drama that's happening on the council or in government, residents demand and expect um, delivery of basic city services, quality of life issues. Mm -hmm to address them, and that's what I try to do, is provide that type of leadership. Keep it focused on... Uh, uh, that's right, Joe. You, you know, do you feel... Uh, but did you feel at times it was kind of out of control? Uh, and any responsibility, you feel any responsibility for that? I mean, at, I'm at, playing a little devil's yeah, advocate no, I understand. here, too, but, um, uh, you know. I, I, I was fortunate, Joe, to... As, as the council president to have been involved in politics to my father for so many years, so I'm used to, used to difficult circumstances, mm -hmm. serving 24 years in the military as well. Um, you know, I've, I've dealt with challenges and tough environments my whole, my whole life, my whole career. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I tried to mm -hmm. do the best I possibly could under very difficult, mm -hmm. challenging circumstances and I wanted to provide the city with positive leadership and that was my number one objective was to was to work hard to be honest but also to ensure that basic city services quality of life issues were addressed and working closely with the mayor's team um, I'm proud to have done that but I also want to credit my my own staff they've been with me six years they haven't they haven't left um, my my city council staff so they really uh, stepped up mm -hmm. for me, but more importantly for the residents of the city. Right. Um, you know, and I, I think a lot of it uh, started, and I, I want to talk about some other things as well, so I, but, uh, you know, with the whole redistricting 
uh, fight or battle or what have you ended up being uh, lawsuits and mm -hmm. you know everything else and the judge uh, the courts being involved ultimately uh, did that kind of poison the well water so to speak uh, on the council and and I mean in your mind did you feel like it you know, after that it just kind of uh, the different elements, the different uh, groupings within the council, and I'm sure it changes all the time, uh, suddenly going at each other. And, and some of it uh, uh, you know, appeared to be almost uh, 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 you know, councillors of color and, uh, and councillors of you know, white councillors uh, that were found on opposite ends of the poll. And, and almost kind of sending the wrong message about uh, uh, all the progress that's been made in the city. I think there was a lot of disappointment to you. I mean, you know that it, it devolved into that to a certain degree. And I'm oversimplifying. Right, it. Don't, right. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I think I think we had to deal with legal and ethical challenges. Some of my colleagues um, were experiencing or facing, I should say, mm -hmm. that had a significant impact. Certainly, redistricting. Mm -hmm. Um, the redistricting case that we brought it to federal court, right. and um, the the map that the city council approved was basically thrown out by, or basically thrown out by a, a, a democratic judge. Right. Um, so we had to go back to the drawing boards, drawing board, and ensure that the map would not be uh, would be drawn properly. My my district um, was impacted. Other districts were impacted. Mm -hmm. District three. Um, several others, but I wanted to make sure that in my neighborhood in South Boston, but in throughout District Two, that the residents living in public housing would be united. Right. That was my that was my number one goal. I well, didn't. You've always made them a priority, if I recall your uh, your campaigns years past and your priorities years past. Yeah, no, that yeah. Thank you for yeah, observing uh, that. Was, I, that's were right. you able to maintain that? Uh, I was able to maintain that, and I actually was able to. Increase the public housing residents, which now includes Mary Ellen McCormick, mm -hmm. uh, which was never part of District Two. Um, so I represent the most residents living in uh, public housing of any mm -hmm. district city councilor. Mm -hmm. I also represent the largest Asian community. I have a large Spanish-speaking community throughout the district and the South mm -hmm. End um, in public housing as well. I also have I also represent a growing Somalian community. In South Boston as well, so large LGBTQ yeah. community um, neighbors. So it's important that I provide the best positive mm -hmm. leadership I can to my constituents and to the residents of Boston, and that's what I'm going to continue to continue to do going uh, South forward. South Boston has changed a lot over the years, and, and, and have you changed as well? Oh, I think so. South yeah. Boston has changed a lot. I think I, I have changed. I've changed in the job. Um, but I think change is, is what happens in cities, and cities are always evolving, and they're always changing, and you have to adapt and, and ensure that, you, that cities are ready for the next generation, yeah. for the next years, for the future, and we're seeing that, whether, whether it's in life sciences, whether it's in academia or, or, or medical care, but it's about it's about changing, but also ensuring residents are comfortable with the change and are prepared for the change. So you want to make sure you provide residents, especially young people, with the best education in the Boston public school system. 
Well, I would say, uh, you know, uh, for whatever my two cents is worth, that uh, it's going to change anyway. So mm -hmm. you either uh, can help uh, direct the change or, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, try and stop it, but that doesn't always happen. So uh, I, you're, uh, reportedly, uh, your colleague uh, Ruthie uh, Lu Juin uh, is... Uh, prepared, she says she has the vote to be the next president. Uh, how will she do? How, and has she turned to you for any advice? I've had a, a few conversations with her. I'm not certain who the next council president is going to be. It's, no, it's not, uh, it seems like it will be Council Louis Jean, um, but I know other councils are still seeking support from other colleagues. Mm -hmm. so, so we could see something, you know, another face in there yet. It's, it's possible, probably probably unlikely, but I know the process is still playing itself out. Um, and it's an internal process, and there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one coffee meetings between mm -hmm. colleagues and talking about the future of the council and what role each mm -hmm. council yeah. council could play, yeah. what type of leadership experience Have they bring. Have you committed uh, yourself yet? No, I haven't committed. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to, what role would you like to play in the future council? I would like to help uh, because, and just so I'm sorry to interrupt you, so our viewers uh, understand that uh, uh, under the council rules, uh, you can serve two years, but you can't succeed yourself. That's and, correct, and that's why your term is coming to an end. That's, that's the right. Only reason. Yeah, I I would have I loved the job. I would have. I would have run for re-election if I had the opportunity to. And years ago, that was possible. That was right? possible. Yeah. But what I'd like to do is is work with the new counselors, hopefully help them, prepare them, provide some leadership um, abilities and techniques that I've learned and experience that I've learned. Hopefully I can make a difference in, in, in their careers. And, and Joe, I learned about that serving in the U.S. Navy and whether it was active duty or in the reserves. I went through leadership programs, development programs in the military, and hopefully I can um, help the new people, new colleagues, and make, make, life, yeah, make life yeah. easier for them. What to avoid, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Well, anyway. The potholes. Uh, yes. Uh, we've got just a few minutes, I, and I, I want to ask you, I see uh, a couple uh, things. Uh, talk about your last meeting uh, that... Uh, uh, you and, and uh, uh, Councillor Flaherty have proposed uh, uh, making some changes to uh, parking in Southie that's, uh, that's kind of gotten totally out of control. As I uh, was reading, I think I read this correct, that there's, uh, uh, there's that we're talking about resident parking permits. There's uh, uh, three resident parking permits for every actual available parking spot which makes for, I must be wild over there, uh, especially, I guess, probably weekends. But uh, what is it that you're proposing? What would you like to see happen? Talk about a local district issue. Yeah, you're setting me up here, Joe. <laughs> um, no, but I would, I would like to see uh, resident parking throughout all of South Boston. We have it in a certain part of South Boston. Uh -huh. It should be throughout the entire neighborhood. Also, you bring up a good point, is we need to go through everyone that has a resident sticker ensure that they're currently living in South mm -hmm. Boston or any neighborhood. It goes for other neighborhoods mm -hmm. as well. There it, isn't a process 
for doing that now? Some of it was done automatically. The renewal of the uh -huh. stickers were done automatically. <clears throat> I would like us to see and get confirmation from residents that they are actually living at their apartment or their house. And if they're not, take their sticker away. Because if they're coming into Boston to park here and, and then take the bus or train into the downtown area from the South Shore or for the North Shore, mm -hmm. they should not be um, having access to resident parking during the day. Well, and parking was always uh, you know, a problem over there anyway. I mean, I always think of the, the double parked cars, the uh, lawn furniture, the, uh, you know, all of the old stories. And, and uh, you know, there's still a lot of that going on, isn't there? The, the, there is, unfortunately, yeah. but it's, um, it's about working together and everyone making, making a difficult choice for everybody, mm -hmm. but everyone has to give a little bit and, and, and help each other out, be a good neighbor. We're not going to get 100% of what we want. Residents aren't going to get 100% or the city isn't, but it's about compromise. Hopefully we can meet in the middle and come up with a solution that supports residents that supports commuters, yeah. but also protecting uh, the quality of life for residents yeah. in, in, in my district, but also throughout the city sure. as well. That's a touchy subject over there, right? Oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's beginning to be across yeah. the city yeah. as well. Well, uh, given the uh, development that's taken place in Southie in recent years, I mean, uh, you, the waterfront has been transformed. I right. Mean, it's just incredible, and that's just part of it. But uh, you know, all the, you know, condos and three-deckers now, uh, million-dollar condos, it's, it's just incredible what's, what's happening. Uh, I was reading uh, just uh, recently about uh, uh, the uh, BHA's plans for, you know, talked about the Mary Ellen McCormick uh, uh, housing development, and my goodness, uh, you know, that is an enormous project, and uh, will uh, essentially almost triple the size of it, if I, if I read that correctly. And uh, uh, how will that change South Boston? And uh, is that something you've been supportive of? Definitely, it's yeah. def definitely needed. The residents in Mary Ellen McCormick uh, deserve to live in right. a, a, a beautiful location, a beautiful house, yeah. beautiful residence. It, the area is struggling right now. It hasn't been the infrastructure hasn't kept up over the years. I was going to say, when was that built? Uh, uh, it's the, after the war? Yeah, it's actually the oldest one in New England, yeah. public housing development it's in New incredible. England. And, one, and the second biggest in Boston, I believe, yeah. next to um, Bunker Hill. Yeah. But um, it, It's a it, great location, it, uh, no doubt about it. It is. It's right, right next to the park and right across from the bay. It, yeah, and, and there's a partnership with the Boston Housing Authority with wind development. Mm -hmm public-private partnership to address public housing. Yeah. And that's, that's the future of public housing, is you need to come in with the developer and upgrade, upgrade, these house, upgrade the residents, mm -hmm. upgrade these structures. But also, there, there probably has to be a component to um, market rate, right. affordable units. It's a mixed income. It's a mixed income with, yeah. with the public housing. So, um, but you mentioned the, the South Boston waterfront, Joe, and just quickly, I remember when there was only three restaurants down there, three buildings actually, Anthony's Pier 4, right. um, Jimmy's Harborside, and the, the no name, or, or, but I, I was a um, popover boy at Anthony's Pier 4, <laughs> so I made, the, I made the rolls, and I, I, I served the rolls for four years in high yeah. school, and yeah. I, I loved that job. I love going down there. There's some great fundraisers down there. Yeah, the there We've got just a couple of minutes left. I, I got to ask you, uh, what's the, uh, as you enter the new year, what, what do you think the 
the biggest challenges uh, for you and for the council, and uh, what do you see for the city? I, I, I think it's public safety and quality of life for the residents. We, we have to make sure that we are focused on these quality of life issues, neighborhood services is a top priority for me, but also public safety challenges and concerns that we need to continue to work on. Mm -hmm. we, um, we just finalized and voted on the Boston Police Patrolman's Association yeah. contract. Was that a good contract? I think it was, yeah. I voted for it. Yeah. Um, it's moving the city forward uh, with some changes as well. I, I would like to credit the, the mayor and, and her team, but also the uh, patrolmen in the offices as well. But we're desperately low in terms of um, offices in the city, and we don't have enough police officers uh, patrolling the city of Boston. I think everyone acknowledges that. That's something I've, I've focused yeah. on. But we need to consistently hire three to 400 police right. officers every year. For the next 10 years, we're going to see a lot of retirements right. um, over the next 12 well, the months. The commissioner was here, and he was talking about that. He yeah. said that's, as a matter of fact, I think he said that was what his biggest challenge that, was, is finding good, qualified right. candidates to uh, fill those slots, but that it was a, you know, it was a big problem. And, and Joe, we also need to support police officers. We need to support their families as well. We need to do a better job of, of treating them with respect. We can't be always critical of them mm -hmm. in second-guessing their decisions, whether it's here in Boston, across the country. But they play a critical role in our neighborhood and our city. They're police officers, but also they're our, they're our neighbors. They're our Little League coaches, yep. um, sports coaches, civic leaders. They're part of the community. They're part of the city. They deserve better. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I got to, you know, the, when the commissioner was here, Michael was, was here, uh, uh, how do you think he's doing? Uh, how's he, in terms of leadership from the police department? I think he's doing a good job. I think yeah. he's a decent man. I think he's honest, he's ethical, he's doing the best he can, again, under difficult circumstances in the city. I was with them uh, two days ago during a couple of the debates up at the city council. We just um, voted to not accept, I believe it was $13 million of funds that, that yeah, would have went to the emergency management on nuclear biological related issues mm -hmm. impacting not just Boston, but greater Boston. But um, I'm concerned about some public safety challenges we have mm -hmm. going forward. Um, and what, what about the money for the intelligence uh, center? Uh, I've, I've, I'm just stating that. I the know. brick, yeah. Yes, yeah. Boston brick, Regional Intelligence. Yeah. That's that's a critical because uh, that that didn't pass muster with the council, did it? it no, did. We, we we were we were able to accept. You were ultimately. Uh, yeah. I wasn't sure about. That. Yeah, but what what the brick does is. It ensures that we have the resources, the tools, mm -hmm. in the personnel, in the technology to address challenges such as um, the Nazis coming into Boston, yep. protesting, um, anti-racism, anti discrimination that they've, they've demonstrated. But also, Boston is, is home to the greatest colleges, universities, mm -hmm. hospitals in the world. Yep. Unfortunately, Joe, we're a target. Yeah. And could be for any for, various, for any reasons. Various I, groups. I, I spent 13 months in Guantanamo in an intelligence unit, and um, I've studied these issues. And 
you know, urban, urban cities across America have to deal with these issues, right. whether they like them or not. Right. But, it, but also, it's Boston. It's about supporting towns and cities across sure. greater Boston as Much well. more serious threats than I think people realize. We've got just a minute or two left. I, I got to ask you, uh, the, whoever the next president of the uh, council is, uh, how do they go about kind of uh, healing some of the divisions that have happened? And, uh, you know, I just, uh, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I know you tried your best when you were in there to bring people together, but uh, easier said than done. Right? Easier said than done. Um, I, I think people have to come, come together, support each other. I think we need to come back to the office and we can't be doing the job from our, from our homes, from our apartments. Mm -hmm. And be in the office five days a week. That's what everyone else does. Um, work, get in there at 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning, work till yeah. 4. Support each other, go out and meet each other, yeah. have coffee, have lunch. So but, more you know, personal contact and regular contact on a uh, you know, daily basis. You right? can't do the job from your home. You yeah. have to be in the building. You have to know who the city employees yeah. are. You have to know who your colleagues are. That's the only way you can get things done is, is listening to each other, respecting yeah. each other, but showing up and working hard as part of the yeah. process. Were you surprised, uh, and, and we're really down to it now, uh, there was a news article uh, just uh, the last day or two about uh, Mayor Wu hosting a party for uh, electeds of color, I think is how it was referenced, of course. Uh, and apparently you got an invite as well, although Apparently that wasn't the intent, and uh, uh, came in for some criticism of uh, and uh, of, of you know, kind of compartmentalizing who is in the inside or who was elected or who was partying and that type of thing. Did that send the wrong message? Uh, did Mayor Wu send the wrong message by uh, hosting a party like that? I know one thing I, I don't like doing is ducking a question, but you know we're in, we're going into the Christmas holiday. Yeah. I think it's time for us to come together as a city. We have a lot of division mm -hmm. in society. I don't want to contribute to that. I want to be part of bringing people together. Um, the holidays are about times of supporting each other, especially during difficult times. And I know I know that's what we need now and. I'm, I, I don't want to get into the, the details of, of this situation. I just want people to respect each other, support each other. Mm -hmm. and, but I do know, unrelated to this issue, Joe, the, the role of, of social media does have an impact on mm -hmm. decisions and, and, on, and on elected officials and on their family. And, I have been subjected to uh, harassment on social media, mm -hmm. and issues do get blown up in, in social on social media, right. and it impacts the elected officials, it impacts their family, it impacts the community, but it doesn't bring people together. Right. And I so think maybe don't read too much into uh, to this particular story or, or any story that kind of magnifies the divisions, is that what you're saying? Yeah, cities, cities there's always controversy, there's always a crisis. But I, I, think, I think cities are about respecting each other in learning and coming together and be, be understanding, be more understanding toward each other. And we can always find fault with each other, but especially during the holiday season, it's about going forward 
in a positive way, supporting each mm -hmm. other. And that's what I hope to do. That's why I'm really not, um, I'm focused, I'm not focused on the negative issues impacting us. I'm trying to work with, work with the mayor, work with my city council colleagues, city departments, um, state legislators, the, the residents of the city, yeah. and provide positive leadership. Well, I'm gonna hope that's contagious for uh, your, so. your, your colleagues. Hope, that's uh, my New Year's yeah, wish. Yeah, that's your New Year's resolution. Yeah. I want to wish you the best of luck. Uh, you uh, do great work and uh, put in a very difficult spot. So God bless you. That's what I say. Uh, thank you, Joe. But thanks for coming in and sharing with us again. Good to be with you. Uh, City Council President Ed Flynn, you're uh, president until January? January 1st around 9 o'clock in the morning. And there you go. So. You'll have to call me Mr. President <laughs> then. And then after that, you'll have to call me Ed. <laughs> well, thanks so much again. Thank you, Joe. In. Nice to have you here. You and too. Merry Christmas. Happy, Merry Christmas, my happy friend. New Year. When we come back, well, we'll talk some more politics uh, with an old friend of uh, BNN. We're talking, of course, about uh, David Helbert. He's now the executive director of the Progressive Mass Funders Collaborative. It's a real mouthful, but uh, uh, always great to talk with him as we, we continue with more of Talk to the Neighborhood. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. On Tuesday, Mayor Wu announced a new five-year agreement reached with the Boston Police Patrolmen's Association, which will bring police reform and better pay for Boston's law enforcement. At the end of the day, this is a contract that is fair and equitable to the men and women in uniform that are answering those calls for service. At the same time, we help policing evolve. I know the famous word out there is reform, uh, but I like to look at it as police evolving. We are bringing policing into the future. We are having better educated officers, and they're being fairly compensated in what undoubtedly is one of the most expensive cities in America. So um, we're happy this morning to report that we have a deal. It was overwhelmingly ratified last night by our membership. The vote took place Sunday and Monday to decide on a number of topics, such as cost of living wage increases, expanding educational incentive programs, as well as clearly defining a list of offenses that will go through a court of law, rather than a private resolution. These offenses include hate crimes, sexual assault, extortion, human trafficking, and more. Our highest priority is and always will be our resident safety, and we must hold all we entrust with that responsibility to the highest of standards. That's why, for the first time in Boston's history, this contract eliminates the pathway to overturn disciplinary action or termination through arbitration if an officer is indicted for or if a sustained internal affairs finding is issued and upheld for specific criminal acts. There should be no loophole for those who commit grave criminal acts to wear a badge. And this also just gives that predictability so the process doesn't drag on and on with arbitration. Police Commissioner Michael Cox hopes that the new reforms in the union contract will increase the number of police recruits and keep their current officers satisfied in their employment. Right now, policing has issues with attention, I mean, keeping people, attracting people, and addressing certainly, you know, compensations and make sure that we're able to do the job in a, in a city that's relatively expensive. And I think this contract did a, it a, went a long way of helping us, you know, keep officers, uh, attract officers, and more importantly, um, deal with some of the resource issues that we have in general across the board um, in, a, in a way that's productive for everybody. If reparations happen, then perhaps we can say something to stem the tide of gentrification because reparations aren't going to matter if we're not here. 
On Blue Hill Ave, the passion was evident as the Boston People's Reparations Commission hosted the first of what will be monthly community meetings on reparations. All were welcomed last Friday to join the growing conversation about what's owed to Boston's black community. Reparations has an impact on people of color, black and brown uh, people primarily. Um, you know, there's an impact on a group of people, which are black and brown people, who have been marginalized for so very long. Um, with reparations, it, what it should be creating is opportunity. Um, I believe opportunity is what separates people um, from their goals, from what they're entitled to, whether it's on a, a health level, on an academic level, um, on just a human level um, in general. So it's reparations. Is, is, is a necessity. American freedmen who are the descendants of the four million informally emancipated slaves are basically the people who in which have been the most um, suppressed through systematic racism and also structural racism for the past 400 years, also putting us at the bottom of the caste system and the bottom of the barrel. Reparations would definitely even the playing field, especially by closing the wealth gap. That's the most important thing. Current day, um, and especially in Boston, the wealth of black people are $8. It's predicted that in 2053 it'll be zero. That makes a big difference. So reparations is something that's totally necessary. And it's not a handout. It's what was due to us as far as the promise from the failed federal government. Boston youth also have strong feelings about reparations, as shown by this T-shirt designed by Jasmine St. Hill, a teenager attending the meeting. Black shouldn't have been shipped over in the slave ships in the first place. That's just my opinion. But... I don't think there's any justification on what has happened and even if they were to pay back and give land as their sorry, I still don't feel like that's a good enough apology. I just think that it shouldn't have happened in the first place. But you know, adding the, the land and the money to it would be nice, but I just don't think it's a justification for what happened. And they're just going to try to give us land and money to just throw it underneath the rug and just make it all disappear and think that's just going to shut everybody up. It was 250 years of free labor, free labor we never got paid for. And people still frown upon us like we are lazy. We are the last group to ever be called lazy. And we don't care if you feel upset that we're getting this reparations because we deserve it. And if we're black, if everyone black are able to benefit from us because we did it. And that's not fair at all. In 2022, Mayor Wu appointed Boston's 10-person task force on reparations with the goal of providing recommendations to the city for truth, reconciliation, and reparations by summer 2024. Community groups like Boston People's Reparations Commission are watching closely and committed to doing their own work. What's important is that we are in on the decision when reparations are decided to be made available. We don't want what's just given to us. We want what we need to make our community a strong community, not just today, but moving forward. As I always say, we're honoring the past. We're taking care of the present. But really, for us, it's about the future. What is our future city of Boston, black Boston, going to look like? All right, we're back with more of Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host. And tonight, uh, we're coming to you live from the BNN Media Studios in Eggleston Square, also simulcast, simulcast on our sister radio station, WBCA 102.9 FM. And I'm pleased to have joining us on the second half uh, 
an old friend. He's uh, uh, become uh, pretty much an expert uh, in <laughs> politics, uh, in my opinion. Uh, of course, uh, has run for the uh, city council and uh, now is the executive director of uh, Progressive Mass Funders Collaborative. Do I, I have that know. right now? You I'm do. Really, really uh, I'm starting to get this down now. But uh, we're talking about David Helbert. Nice to have you here, David. Nice Always to great see to be here, Joe. Merry Christmas, Merry Happy Christmas. New Year, Happy Holidays. Yes. Whatever uh, rings your chime there. Well, <laughs> let's talk some local politics initially. I want to also ask you uh, as we go forward about what you're looking forward to in the uh, new year. But uh, uh, there's a story in the... Uh, the Herald, uh, just uh, yesterday and the year be, day before, and then there was a follow-up story uh, about uh, a party the uh, mayor Wu hosted at the Parkman House uh, for uh, electeds of color, which uh, included, uh, you know, of course, I'm, I'm assuming many uh, Boston City councilors that are uh, uh, councilors of color and uh, whatever. Uh, I, and the way it rolled out, it was uh, very uh, kind of awkward. Now, she, uh, since then, has apologized for an email that went to, went to all the counselors, mm -hmm. including you know, several of which are not counselors of color. Mm -hmm. uh, but she didn't uh, have, other than that, she said, well, there's plenty of parties and, and different events, uh, especially during the holiday season. and, and Shouldn't people shouldn't make much of it? But I got to ask you about it because the optics uh, for didn't look good for somebody that kind of made her uh, reputation on you know inclusivity and and kind of reaching out and bringing everybody together. Uh, it didn't look good for her. What do you, what do you make of this? Well, you know, I think this is, is one much ado about nothing. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say a little bit of a tempest in the teapot yeah, yeah. here. You know, I think that sometimes you know putting something out there, what they say, uh, if it bleeds, it leads, right? And you're, you're trying to you know, move especially, it, get close. Especially in our, uh, our, the Herald, yeah, you know, where yeah, and you know, and that's understandable in terms of the larger media business. But the reality of the situation is, the mayor, as you know, I believe her spokesperson said uh, yesterday or the day before. You know, this is something that's been going on for a number of years, and it's not specific mm -hmm. to City Hall, it's not specific to the Mayor's Office or the City Council, this is citywide. Uh, there has been a long-standing grouping of elected officials mm -hmm. of color, which has grown over the years. I was going to say, right. it used to be a small group, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. and now it's... Well, and, Significantly larger, yes. and so this has been a long-standing tradition yeah. that's been hosted by numerous elected officials uh, throughout the years. It just hap so happened that this year it came to the mayor. Now, yes, you could say it was a bit awkward that people, you know, received the, this particular invitation. Some people who you know wouldn't have been included right. necessarily in that group. I can understand that. And I think the mayor was, you know, totally within her I mean to, you know, apologize mm -hmm. in that sense for any offense that was taken. But I think those who are taking more offense and umbrage at it maybe are being a little bit too sensitive. Yeah. about this because as was said you know there's plenty of holiday parties all throughout the city all throughout city hall all throughout departments and everything and this was not something that it was intentionally done to by the mayor's office to mm -hmm. exclude those counselors it just happened to fall you know on their radar and i think frankly the fact that you know the matter is as an elected official and as elected officials of color because even though the group has grown when you put it in the broader spectrum of elected officials you know statewide um, it's still a very small community and so having those spaces where people can be with one another they can think 
think they can exchange. They can talk about some of the unique challenges that elected officials of color often face in a more relaxed environment isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's part of building that sense of community. Right, a networking to a certain extent if, yeah. if, if, if you don't already know those people. But did she kind of step on her own message in a little bit? Uh, and, and not to belabor it, but uh, uh, because she has been very, you know, uh, upfront about you know trying to include more people, uh, uh, all kinds of people, and she's uh, I think her people that she's brought in her, into her administration shows that. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know I, I would say this. I think for those who want to think and, and question the mayor and her mm -hmm. commitment to diversity and inclusion across the board, right, based on one holiday invitation, mm -hmm. I would take a step back and say, let's look at the totality of her work. Let's look even just at this past election cycle. Mm -hmm. Yes, she supported Enrique Pepin. She supported Henry Santana. She also supported Sharon Durkin. She supported mm -hmm. Ben Weber, who mm -hmm. are both, you know, incoming, uh, well, Sharon Durkin was existing at that point from the special right. election, but and incoming, yeah, white city councilors. It's not that she's done any kind of intentional work to exclude people, but we do have to understand that for communities, it is often hard to create space. And being and having those spaces, supporting those spaces in real intentional ways is just as much a part of celebrating the totality and the diversity of the city. And that's a really important thing for a mayor, particularly uh, coming from a, a unique position as our first elected female mayor, our first elected person mm -hmm. of color mayor. There is an unfortunate secondary uh, burden that she bears that m her predecessors never have. Um, and so I think that it's something that- A little bit under the microscope. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I think it's something that, you know, Everyone would be wise to often, as folks say, you know, take a beat. Yeah. yeah, it's the holiday season. Yeah. Let's well, provide uh, a little grace. And that's what uh, uh, Ed uh, Flynn was here just before, and he said, you know, he prefers to, to focus on the, the positive. And, uh, but uh, now, uh, supposedly she has the votes, although, uh, you know, uh, it's not clear, but uh, uh, Ruthie Lujuan, the uh, uh, at-large council, she was the top vote getter in the election, uh, barely, uh, supposedly she has the votes. Uh, what's, what's she facing after a very, I think it's fair to say, a very tumultuous year on the Boston City Council, and that might be an understatement in, in many ways. It was a difficult year, and I think uh, even uh, Ed Flynn, the current president, uh, acknowledged as much. You know, it's been a tough year, and uh, how does she bring uh, the council back together because I, I think I truly, you know, like uh, some of the coverage of uh, starting with the redistricting fight, but even after that, uh, uh, some very, uh, you know, nasty comments and, and uh, uh, some of the kind of words was it, it's a dysfunctional body, you know. Yeah. Well, I think it's this, you know, for Council Lujan, and she's uh, an incredibly articulate advocate for all she the causes sure that she's is. behind, yeah. you know, uh, a really talented politician, obviously, you know, coming in third in a race in 2021, topping the ticket, as you said, yep. this past race. I think for her, it's going to be steering the body in such a way that we move away from conversations about personalities right. and activities and behavior and more towards conversations about the work and what is the work. Um, I think that, you know, folks are and have expressed a degree of fatigue. Some of that has been egged on, frankly, um, I believe by other folks who are benefiting from right. some of that. From the fatigue, <laughs> Yeah, right? and well, and from the appearance of this dysfunction. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the city council is still the legislative body of the city. It has an incredibly important role in the governance of the city and being a, a laboratory for policies and for ideas. Mm -hmm. I know that Councilor Lujan uh, gets that. I know that that is what I believe, personally, is going to guide her mm -hmm. in 
terms of the decisions that he makes, but everything from what committees exist to who leads those committees to what the overall tenor and voice of the council is going to be. Because really, the presidency holds more ceremonial roles often yes, than does. operational roles, uh, unless the mayor decides to leave. Right. Um, but I think that she is well positioned to be very successful uh, following that. And I think you know when we come back and revisit this conversation in two years, we're going to say that she you know, she took a step forward in that mm -hmm. role and really helped elevate it and elevate the council. Well, certainly, and I think it's fair to say uh, that she uh, uh, navigated the minefields over uh, redistricting, was able to pull at least a majority, a, a solid majority of councilors together to support the ultimate redistricting plan. And, uh, uh, you know, that says something about her abilities. I, I think that's fair to say, and she certainly is uh, very articulate. What do you, what do you uh, see, and of course, uh, uh, in your mind should be the priorities of the council in the new year? Yeah, I think coming into these next two years, you know, the number one policy issue, as we know, I'm sure you know, you've had many a guest on here, uh, including myself previously yeah. said this, it's housing. Yeah. Right, and, you know, we have to do something as a city to help address the incredible crunch of housing and the pressure that it's placing. You know, there was just a report that just came out talking about the you know, accelerated gentrification in low-income communities, mm -hmm. and that new sales are you know, exponentially uh, exploding yes, in these communities. Incredible, right? actually, right? and it's pushing out a lot of people, and that is a significant concern because not only is it making homes and you know housing opportunities harder for people to achieve. Uh, but it's also destabilizing communities, people who have lived there for significant portions of their life, if not their entire life, and the communities and the cultures that they reflect. Right. So if we want to have a vibrant, healthy city, uh, a real city, and that right. isn't just one that's all ultra-wealthy individuals, right. we need to make sure that, and the city council, the mayor's office, city government, and their partners up on Beacon Hill need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to leverage every opportunity and to get every resource available to help people live in and preserve mm -hmm. their lives here in the city. Um, now, the new council, of course, the last council was, uh, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, tilted left, uh, very progressive. Uh, is this new council uh, much different? I mean... We don't know yet. Yeah, um, you got some new voices there, but, uh, uh, you know, they seem uh, very progressive as well, including, as you said, those that the mayor uh, has endorsed, uh, and she certainly... Uh, came out of the election looking very good, didn't she? Yeah, look, looking very strong yeah. in the, the work that she was able to put in on the ground and building and mobilizing you know, her machinery, uh, electorally speaking. I think the question for many progressives in the city, frankly, is what do we have, right? We know who won, but we don't know what kind of voice they're going to bring. Are they going to be the kind of zealous you know, and thoughtful advocates and policy creators um, that, for example, Councilor Royal and Councilor Lara um, were? And, you know, putting out there really forward-thinking um, and sometimes bold and envelope-pushing agenda items, right? You know, I know that there's been a lot of conversation. Yeah, whether, you, whether you liked them or supported them, exactly. they certainly weren't shy about expressing their uh, their thoughts and their proposals. No, and they really stood behind those and put a lot of yeah. uh, really uh, deep thought and intention behind them as well. So the question on the table is going to be with this new crop of city councilors that are coming in, are we on the progressive side and the left side going to see that continuation of that kind of advocacy and that kind of innovation, which is so critical in solving the problems that are facing the city? Well, uh, and you mentioned the, uh, the uh, legislature, of course, uh, uh, now we're getting into uh, <laughs> the new uh, election year, which is about state officials and uh, you know, your organization is working around, you know, various uh, uh, 
issues that you're supporting. Uh, what, what would you like to see? What are your hopes for the, uh, the legislature in the new session? Of course, uh, talking about uh, uh, housing and, uh, you know, there's a big, of course, uh, um, bond bill that was been put forth and there's some money there for housing. But what else would you like to see uh, them deal with? Yeah, I mean, our organization, you know, while we're based here, <laughs> I'm based here, um, we're a statewide organization. So it depends really on where you are. You know, all politics is local. But across the board, housing, we know, you know, whether you're in Provincetown on the mm -hmm. Cape or you're in Pittsfield mm -hmm. in Berkshire County, housing is a tremendous issue that really needs to be addressed. Uh, what kind of policies, whether we're talking about rent control and rent stabilization, you know, additional dwelling units like mm -hmm. they're uh, having conversations about in Worcester, you know, whatever it is, uh, we need to really be focused on, once again, providing more access to housing options that are existing at different price points, different points mm -hmm. of socioeconomic access to preserve the Commonwealth and advance it. You know, we also need to make sure that we're making meaningful and intentional investments in transportation. Obviously, here in Greater Boston, we're talking, of course, about the incredible investment sure. that is sure. needed yeah. uh, to get the MBTA, particularly our subways. Uh, $25 billion. Just a little bit of Trump change. I'm sure <laughs> we've got a couch cushion somewhere we can find it in. Um, but in all seriousness, getting that investment, but also from, once again, a statewide yeah. perspective, making sure that we're talking about transit equity. So so you know, the conversation about transportation and transportation funding cannot and should not no. exist solely within the construct of what's good for the MBTA. We also have to be thinking about the Worcester Regional Transit Authority or the Pioneer Valley Transit Authority in Western Mass and making sure that people can move uh, between our communities, both for just as you know, a, a transportation as a right of living here mm -hmm. in the Commonwealth, but also as a key linchpin of our economic success and viability. So making sure we're having those investments, thinking about how we're doing this, and thinking about how we're doing this in a way that is uh, focused on equity, particularly racial equity as well, and making sure that we're uplifting marginalized communities. That's our focus mm -hmm. as an organization, making sure we're investing in organizations that are doing work around civic engagement, civic education, so that often underheard or underrepresented communities have a voice at the table. Well, uh, and Mayor Wu put uh, forth some really, uh, some interesting proposals. I think it's fair to say uh, some progressive proposals, including, of course, uh, rent stabilization, uh, 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 her plan to uh, uh, for uh, free transportation, and in fact, there's some pilot programs that the uh, city has helped to fund for free bus fares. Uh, uh, those types of things, uh, and the newest one is, uh, I don't know how you want to call it, what how you uh, it's income maintenance or or what what have you uh, what you want to call it. It's been called various things, uh, income. Uh, for low income, cash for low income. Yeah, the people. universal basic income program. There we go. There's the. Uh... <laughs> There's always an acronym <laughs> and a phrase for everything. And so, uh, we, yeah, so we saw this program, you know, a version of this program any, any in Chelsea. Hope for, any hope for those in, in, with the state? Because. You obviously need some state funding as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, we saw a program, a uh, similar program that was put into place, uh, funded by private philanthropy initially in Chelsea, and they're getting the information on that, coming back about what people were spending their money on. You know, I think that there was kind of this moral hazard worry uh, at the beginning that you would give money to people and they would go out and spend it on alcohol and cigarettes and, and scratch tickets. And what they found was that was absolutely not the case, mm -hmm. and that what the 
animating theory behind doing this uh, actually bore out, which was you know these individuals who were receiving this kind of uh, direct cash assistance, they knew what they needed, and so they were spending it on utilities, they were spending it on food, they were spending it on the basic necessity of life that allowed them to stretch their dollars, uh, to get a little bit of breathing room, um, and you know ultimately have a much better quality of life in the community. I, I'm really. You know, very, very happy about the fact that Mayor Wu is talking about this, putting this out there, using her bully pulpit as the head of the largest community mm -hmm. in Massachusetts to put that energy behind it. I hope that that picks up traction and we're gonna be having real intentional conversations because while it was wonderful um, that it was private philanthropy that was behind that initial right. pilot, it's not sustainable. Right. You have to have it, you know, have the impetus and the energy of government behind well, it. I, I think you know one of the interesting uh, things that came out of the pandemic, if you can say that, is uh, uh, you know the cash payments that were made that uh, ultimately and and benefits uh, helped to lift I, I think like 50% of children living in poverty out of poverty now that's not a big leap but when you don't have any money uh, even a small amount of money is significant and, and can be so I, I think it's very interesting before we go we've got just a few minutes left uh, are you nervous uh, about uh, uh, Joe Biden's chances. Uh, I'm sure you've seen all the latest polls, and uh, there's a new one out showing him behind in uh, every single one of the uh, target states yeah. of the. Uh, 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 and and that the other part of it is that uh, uh, he's not sustaining the support that he had previously amongst young people. Uh, amongst uh, people of color, uh, as, as much, uh, with uh, Latinos and Latinas. Uh, how are you feeling about it? Are you getting nervous that we could see President Trump come back? And... I mean, I think anybody who's paying attention to this does have to have some degree of concern, but I also, you know, from a political experience, <laughs> Uh, December of 2023 and November of 2024 yeah. are a world away. Yeah. And we know that numerous things are gonna happen in this race, that people's attention, right, they're not paying attention right now. Yeah. The attention is on, to what degree there is, is on the Republican side. Uh, what's gonna happen with the primary, how much does it look like Donald Trump is gonna win by mm -hmm. in terms of becoming the nominee, and when the conversation gets a little more focused and people can draw that contrast, mm -hmm. not just between the candidates themselves, and I think that there is a clear distinction between President Biden and former President Trump in terms of who they are, how they navigate mm. the world, what they would bring to the Oval Office in a new term, um, but also what the Biden administration has done. Has it been perfect? Absolutely not. And you're seeing that reflected, right. some of those uh, you know, errors and missteps in some of those decreased numbers. But on the balance, uh, particularly in comparative to what we saw in four years of Donald Trump, we know that it's going to be a lot better, in my opinion, so than others. So wait, wait and see. Uh, well, I, and I think a lot of people are... are the same opinion uh, uh, tonight on Talking to Neighbors. Well, a couple of very special guests, and I'm pleased to have uh, David Helbert with us All this half hour. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Stay right there. Uh, we'll be back in the new year. We're taking a little break over the holidays. We'll be back until then for the entire staff and crew here at BNN. Uh, uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Have a pleasant good night. Hey, what kind of watch?